Hey guys, before we jump into the podcast, just want to give a quick shout out to a new product that I am absolutely loving right now. This is Air Tree Vitamin Spray. That's right, it's a vitamin spray. These guys are taking vitamins and nutrients and they've bottled it up into a spray that you simply spray onto your skin and you rub it in. So for Everybody who's dealing with digestive issues or you're you're popping pills and you're you're mixing powders and you're you're dropping tinctures and you're you know you're walking around with pill boxes and you're going crazy taking like 30 different supplements a day. This bypasses all of that because you simply just spray this onto your skin, you rub it in, and it goes directly into your bloodstream. This is really the most effective way to absorb the nutrients that you're taking. So for listeners of the Holistic Nootropics podcast, Airtree is giving away two free bottles of their supplement. That's right, two free bottles of their spray vitamins. All you got to do is go to holisticnootropics.com forward slash free spray and we'll send you the link to pick up two free bottles of this product. So you can choose between vitamin B12, vitamin C, vitamin D, melatonin, or hemp isolate. This is an amazing deal. All you got to do is just pay the shipping, which is like six bucks, and these bottles go for like 35 bucks a piece normally. So again, just go on over to holisticnootropics.com forward slash free spray. Shoot us your email. We'll shoot you the link to pick up two free bottles of this stuff. And then on top of that, you get 20% off of future purchases. So one more time, head on over to holisticnootropics.com forward slash free spray. Boost your brain, boost your life. Let's get into the podcast. You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we discuss holistic lifestyle-based cognitive enhancement. My name is Eric. I'm a holistic nutritional therapy practitioner. And today on the podcast, I have Sally Norton. Sally Norton, a.k.a. the queen of oxalates, has become a go-to source for how to get out of pain and reclaim your health and vitality by limiting high oxalate foods. She is a public health professional with a degree in nutrition from Cornell University, a master's in public health from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and works in the field of integrative medicine. Sally is a leader in bringing awareness about educating the public on the dangers of high oxalate diets and empowering people to make wise dietary choices. So this podcast is probably one of my favorites I've had. I've been following Sally's work for uh, probably about the last year now, and we talked all about how oxalates in foods are, first of all, how they work, but also how they're just wrecking people's overall health. And, you know, Sally has her experience with oxalates and how she cut them and watched her health improve. I've had my own personal experiences with high oxalates in food. And this is kind of in my opinion, really the missing link for a lot of people who are trying healthy diet after healthy diet or jumping from keto to paleo to vegan to vegetarian back to paleo, just mixing in all of these foods that you think are supposed to be healthy, the leafy greens, the nut milks, the, you know, uh, uh, all these different quote unquote healthy foods that we eat so much of because we're told to just 
eat the rainbow. Well, people like Sally are here to tell you with science that that might not be the best idea. So we talked all about how oxalates affect the body, how they affect the brain, how they affect the mitochondria, and how prevalent of a problem this is. So I know you guys are going to love this podcast. Now, all the show notes to this specific podcast are going to be found at holisticnootropics.com forward slash Sally Norton. And just a reminder that if you do enjoy the podcast, please remember to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you are new to nootropics or you want to learn more about using supplements, diet, and lifestyle to hack your brain for peak performance, make sure you check out holisticnootropics.com and join our email list, get on our newsletter, and stay up to date on everything awesome going on in the field of holistic mental cognitive enhancement. And with that, everybody, enjoy my conversation today with the one and only Sally K. Norton. Sally Norton, thank you so much for joining me today on the Holistic Nootropics Podcast. It's a pleasure. It is a pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, You know, when I start diving into the topic of oxalate and you know i go online or uh or i'm reading a blog or i'm reading um or i'm listening to a podcast or a video invariably your name pops up as the queen of oxalate so before we get into this wild world of oxalate i just want to just kind of maybe ask you a little bit about your background in why you or how you even got into this topic of oxalate in the first place Yeah, I've been weirdly interested in eating healthy since I was a little kid and decided in seventh grade that a nutrition degree could help me help other people make good choices and avoid things like heart disease and cancer. So I've always been interested in health promotion and prevention and wellness and optimizing your productivity. And um, the problem is, is I had health problems my whole life and I never knew why, you know, it was just this mystery. Why was I having back pain and arthritis as a 12 year old? Why did I not recover from this foot injury? I got a a broken bone in my foot when I was 19 and ended up spending years on painkillers, lots of ibuprofen, crutches, had to use wheelchairs to go to the mall or the fair or anything like that. And it, I had to leave college. I went to Cornell for a nutrition degree, just like I planned to when I was 12. (laughs) And, um, couldn't stay. I had to leave for foot surgery and was gone for four years, had to burn up the entire leave of absence because my feet were still terrible. And so I went back and still limped around and finished my degree. And I continued to have foot problems until about age 49. And at that point, I had a lot more stuff happen to me. I had to quit my career writing research grants for the university medical school here in my town. And have a hysterectomy, and I didn't recover well from that, and I was struggling to the point of I could hardly read the mail anymore. I mean, like, I couldn't function. I didn't have any brain left. I didn't have any energy left. I couldn't work out. It's basically on the sofa, wondering when I would have enough energy to figure out what came in the mail. And so that was the three more odyssey at that point to figure out, uh, well, my endocrinologist, I'm like, look, I can hardly function. What's wrong with me? He sent me to the sleep doctor. The sleep test showed my brain was waking up 29 times an hour. Okay, two minutes of sleep at a time might explain why you can't read anymore and you have no energy, right? And so it took me three years more of research to figure out 
what was going on with his sleep. And of course, it was just an accidental discovery. Because earlier in 2009, I had had this genital pain attack that drove me crazy. It was brief for a few days, but my husband looked online and he found the Vulva Pain Foundation, who is a huge uh, modern pioneer in bringing this information forward for people with pain, especially, um, you know, genital and pelvic problems. And I was like, mm, okay, I tried that. I started learning about Oxlade. I bought their books and tried to learn from them and all that. And, you know, that genital pain went away quickly. And I couldn't really see, you know, I couldn't understand this. I, I'm a degree in nutrition and public health. Like I know stuff. I've never heard of this before. This makes no sense. You're talking about some kind of connective tissue disorder. We never talked about that in the work I've done. I didn't know what they were talking about. And if I couldn't make sense out of it, forget it. And so, and I couldn't tell with the diet that things were helping me. But the beautiful thing about this is that now I knew that I should stop growing Swiss chard and should can the sweet potatoes and had done all those things. But of course, I was addicted to sweet potatoes and let them back in my life. And also later in my research about sleep problems, the major cause of sleep problems is toxicity. And the theory is that the toxicity is coming from dysbiosis, that you've got you know, dying bacteria and toxic organisms producing an internal toxicity that's messing your sleep. So I thought, okay, I've got to fix my chronic IBS that I've had since 1990 and my chronic bloating and constipation and indigestion and belching and all this stuff. I would have these evening attacks. Like I've got to deal with it. So it's got to be. I, it's got to be SIBO. Got to be. So I got special testing. He's, it came up negative. I insisted on getting the medication anyway. None of that worked. But in this attempt. I had to fix my gut, right? Because the gut was causing me to not sleep. Not sleeping was ruining my life. So it was really big. I tried the last thing. Like I've done it all. I've been in the field of holistic healing, integrated medicine, nutrition, my whole career. I know all the stuff. I've tried it all. I've done all the diets. The one I hadn't done is the kiwi diet. Kiwi, you take enough kiwi and it cures constipation. <laughs> so I started doing about two kiwis a day. And of course, everyone is into juicing. I'm like, oh, all right, we'll do a little juicing too. I'll do some celery and lettuce and cucumber juice. And the combination of the kiwis and the celery juice, it took about six weeks or so. And my, I was doing hot yoga just to keep myself moving and to get, because of all my back pain and I needed the sweating and so on and the meditation and the focus and the relaxation of yoga. So I was doing Bikram yoga and I was finding during this time that I was getting stiffer and stiffer and worse and worse and worse at these poses. Now, yes, I'm old. I'm in my late 40s, but I've been doing this stuff since I was young. And like, why am I getting more and more arthritic? So I was laying in bed one night, particularly in pain with all this old arthritis that I used to have in my 20s. And it suddenly dawned on me, the thing that's been going on this summer, this was in 2013, is this Kiwi deal. I knew when I added kiwi now, thanks to the VP foundation, that I had added oxalate. And I knew celery wasn't so great either. And I'm like, what? You mean all this arthritis? I've had all this arthritis first freaking ever. I mean, really disabling pain and inflammation, especially in the hands. And it's been my Swiss chart and beaker. Like it was suddenly dawning on me that 
my high oxalate diet had something to do with arthritis. So I'm like, oh crap, I'm trying to fix my sleep problem. I'm trying to fix my gut problems. I have really big issues, but now I have to fix my arthritis, have to do this stupid low oxalate diet thing. And I did it. And lo and behold, in like 10 days, I was reading the mail and functioning again. I was like, wait a minute, I must be sleeping. You know, I'm just too tired. I can't tell that I am or I'm not sleeping. I'm so wiped out. Um, and I was like, well, I, I just circuits were starting to like screws were flinging out of my head here. Cause I like, what the heck? And then all my foot problems got better. All, all kinds of stuff just started getting better on, on a truly low oxalate diet. And that, and then I started having reactions and I started to understand those too. Thanks to Susan Owens. You know, she's the, really the other big pioneer in this field. There was the VP foundation and there was Susan Owens piggybacking on the work of the B, VP Foundation, which was originally Claude Solomon's. And Susan had uh, worked with enough people early on, the early work they did, it became clear that when you switch from a high oxalate diet to a low oxalate diet, a whole bunch of things change pretty quickly. And some of them are ugly. <laughs> and she recognized that this bioaccumulation of oxalate requires a release of oxalate in the body's naturally going to do that. And it can do it in such an aggressive way if you've really allowed accumulation to carry on for a long time with a heavy oxalate diet, that that can be a problem and can create more symptoms as well. So it became, I was at that point, I was aware of her work. And it, so the symptoms and side effects of being low oxalate made sense too. Like now I could make sense out of it. The combination of recognizing oxalate in the first place, knowing where it was in the food, and then recognizing that it's a bioaccumulation disorder, that it's a deposition disorder in your tissues that creates long-term toxicity syndrome. And that just switching to low oxalate diet is just the beginning of a journey of recovery. And when you were starting to do these different things like the kiwis and the juicing, you were adding in more sweet potatoes. Were you strictly vegetarian or plant-based or were you, uh, were you kind of omnivore? No, I have had been 20 years omnivore, but prior to that, I had spent eight years vegan and prior to that eight years vegetarian. So I had a 16 year history of vegetarianism, half of it vegan, and then a 20 year history of a mixed diet. Thanks to really the work of Sally Fallon and the, um, and the Weston Price Foundation, who teaches you bone broth and gets you comfortable with fat and meat again and gets you, you know, even experimenting with raw meat and doing, you know, raw milk and all of that. So I had restored meat in the diet, but without awareness of oxalate, it, you know, what happened with me is that when I left the vegetarian thing, I did it because I had suddenly recognized that my system was now reacting very badly to wheat and grains and very badly to legumes. So I had to cut out all legumes and grains. And so I switched to sweet potatoes. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing a lot of chicken and some burgers and, you know, turkey and all that stuff because I'm not a vegetarian anymore, but replacing bread and beans with sweet potatoes is almost worse. Sweet potatoes are pretty high oxalate. And I was using them like a staple, like for breakfast and for lunch and, they were my major carb and I wasn't into, I didn't need to be keto or anything back then. That wasn't a thing and I didn't need it anyway. Cause when you eat a high vegetable diet, your ability to extract calories and nutrients from food is a little bit limited. So it's hard to get really fat if you're eating whole foods and they're mostly plants. Like that's what makes you kind of malnourished. So 
I didn't need keto. I just needed calories, you know? And so the sweet potatoes, even though I had meat in my diet, because I chose sweet potatoes out of ignorance, I thought they were a low allergy food. The reason I focused on sweet potatoes is because it was much more lower allergy than these lectin containing grains and the beans full of all kinds of allergens and problems and hard to digest. So to me, I was on this specialized low allergy diet by using sweet potatoes. Well, stupid me. I, I went back to my textbooks from my nutrition schooling, the ones I still had, and they literally have an inch on oxalate in two different chapters. So you can find three inches total in my textbooks on oxalate. Wow. And, to, you know, to be fair, most health professionals recommend sweet potatoes. I've literally never heard anybody except for, you know, the low oxalate people say anything bad about sweet potatoes. Yeah, I was there. I mean, we're all drinking the same Kool-Aid. Yeah. And that's, that's the most fascinating part about the oxalate conversation to me, which is the fact that you have, I mean, all through the gamut of health professionals from, you know, like your IIN certified health coach all the way up to, you know, PhD uh, doctors will tell you these are the foods to eat, more vegetables, more leafy greens, more sweet potatoes, more high fiber this, more, you know, bright color that. And what mm. happens is, is a lot of us buy into that. And I've been to a number of these health conferences and I'm looking at health professionals and not to disparage anybody or call anybody out, but I'm looking at people who are teaching people about how to be healthy, whose health themselves is a complete disaster, you know? Um, and I was right there with that. You know, when I was on my, when I started my health journey, I felt like, sure, I had patched things up, but I was eating more spinach. I was eating a lot of kale. I was eating a ton of sweet potatoes. I was eating uh, beet greens and Swiss chard. And all of a sudden, all of these little things started popping up. Skin issues, dark circles under my eyes, sleep issues. And it was one of those things where I just kind of let it go because I'm like, oh, I'm eating all the right stuff. You know, maybe this is, I don't even, I just didn't even think that it was a problem. I was like, I guess it's normal to just have eczema all over your hand and not be able to close your hand because the arthritis is crippling, you know? And <laughs> I see this all throughout the health world. It's just, it's, it's a bonkers thing. And then you start to hear about oxalates and you're like, oh, this is the thing. Well, you know, it works out financially for people who are selling supplements and programs because we keep advising the wrong things about diet, be afraid of meat and fat and butter go with whole wheat bread and all these heavy vegetables. You can't get too many vegetables. You must pile them on your plate and have as many plates as you can. You know, that kind of advice is, ends up being toxic. And so that those people who are that committed to health to be willing to eat like that are willing to buy supplements with their last dollar. Yeah. Cause they're in pain. <laughs> yeah. And we just, you just start, and this is a big thing in the nootropics world too, which is, uh, you know, I'm going to get one supplement and then I'm going to get another supplement and then I'm going to put that on top of this supplement. In, in the nootropics world, we call it stacking, you know, and you stack, you know, uh, you'll stack like a phosphatidylserine on top of an alpha GPC on top of a medaf. Before you know it, every morning you're taking 20 different supplements and, you know, people have, I have a crazy uh, supplement cabinet <laughs> and a lot of people I know have crazy looking. We all do. <laughs> yeah, we do. And 
And you know, as a scientist, this is the worst way to do to do an experiment, right? Is to just keep piling things on, and then before you know, you don't even know what does what, what's doing what to you anymore. You wake up from morning to morning, and you're like, "Do I feel better? I thought I felt better, but I don't know if I feel better. I've got these weird symptoms, but it, am I feeling? I, I I think I can justify this as feeling better if I'm sleeping, you know, two minutes every hour. I, I guess that's good. Yeah, you really try to be positive and and feel like the advice you're following is gonna is gonna help you. And you know, if you're mentally well, you're gonna be optimistic. Like, okay, I'm making all this effort; it's gonna work, you know. And so you keep doing the same thing that's not working because everyone tells you it's gonna work. So you gotta have faith. And, get, and so I'm in the same situation. I'm like, say, go on a lively diet. It doesn't necessarily make you feel awesome right away. There could be some bumps on the road, but you do need to have faith. But you need faith in yourself, right? really. And you need to be well informed. You can't really effectively go through an oxalate recovery process if you're not really understanding the science. And unfortunately, a lot of people who choose to have opinions without spending five years in the library are just really dismissive and, and just conveying more mythology. So there's a lot of people providing some really terrible information, information about oxalate, which is, I feel really protective. I have this, you know, I've been public health. Women in public health have this kind of big mother protective, mother bear protection kind of tendency. We want to protect the downtrodden and the the marginalized and the innocent and the young and the elderly, like the vulnerable people. And oxalate poison people are very vulnerable. They're looking for answers and there's not many out there. So I feel like I need to be out here attempting in a small little one little voice way to try to set the record straight and provide people this awareness of plant toxicity, the fact that those of us who actually do the advice get injured from it. So you're talking about plant toxicity. Can you, can you maybe go a little bit deeper into that? Because you know, I, this is, this starts to get in a little bit of the, of the diet wars thing, you know, where you have the carnivore people talking about, you know, plant toxins or like the Stephen Gundry with the lectins thing. I know, you know, the, the, the plant paradox can be an, a, a, a very triggering book or even just title to some people. But the fact is, is that, and I've heard you say this on, uh, on other podcasts is that plants are made to protect themselves. They're just like any other living species. So yes, they do have these plant toxins that include oxalate. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the plants and their their reason for having oxalate and nature being loaded with oxalate all over, it's really amazing. Oxalate is this really small chemical. It's called a dicarbolic acid which is two carbons. Each carbon has two oxygens. It's a heavy oxygen molecule and it drops protons. So those oxygens have these negative charges, especially, especially one. There's always at least one and that's an oxalate ion. It has this negative charge and it's very reactive. But it turns out that this chemical, you know, can sort of form itself so easily. It trans, ascorbic acid gets transformed in it, for example. It can form in the clouds, uh, certain liquid vapor and energy and pollution come, becomes oxalic acid even in the clouds. Funguses make it. Bacteria can handle it. Plants use it for so many things. And it turns out to be a great self-defense because the plants can turn oxalic acid and its salt form, which is calcium oxalate, and then all the other minerals can form um, 
a bond with oxalic acid ions and become potassium oxalate, sodium oxalate. Those are the soluble ones that can go on and off the oxalic acid molecule side. It can bond and unbond and go back and forth. Whereas the calcium oxalate, magnesium oxalate, and a lot of the others are, have a tighter bond because they ha also have a double charge, the opposite double charge. So the calcium and minerals tend to have these positive charges, oxalate's negative with two, two, it's a nitre bond versus oxalate that keeps one of the hydrogens and connects with just one monovalent, we call it, mineral like sodium and potassium. So that would be a, a less connections, less electromagnetic pull there. And so they come apart easily. So they're called soluble versus insoluble. So the plants use the acid to collect and control and maintain calcium. So you, the plants can use it as a pantry so they can store the calcium. But it turns out one really interesting study is demonstrating that the plants are using it also to hold on to carbon, that they need CO2 in order to do photosynthesis, right? And in, in desert environments and during drought periods, the air is so hot and dry that the stoma, the breathing holes, the kind of the lungs of the, the leaves of the plant have to close. Otherwise the plant would dehydrate and turn to dust, right? So you've got to close your breathing hole and it's a sunny day and you need photosynthesis, but you can't do photosynthesis, which creates glucose and grows the plant without CO2. So the carbon dioxide, the way you get that as a plant in a desert environment is you break down your calcium oxalate into CO2 and ta-da, you can keep doing photosynthesis in a desert in a drought. So fundamentally, we're not alive without plants on the planet. Like plants are the reason we are here because they produce oxygen. That's what they do for us. They're here for us to, so we can breathe oxygen. They're, they're making mammal life possible. But in order to do that, especially in dry weather, in desert situations, they need oxalic acid and oxalate, calcium oxalate. But they also are sedentary beings in that they're stuck in the ground in one place and funguses sit on their leaves. Well, the oxalic acid can be turned into peroxide and we can fight off funguses. Insects come along and try to eat your leaves. Well, we've turned calcium oxalate into these incredible crystals, which injure the insects and teach them to go away. And, and that's really amazing. They've, they've done interesting studies, even though botany isn't that well-funded, they've managed to study at least some of this and how that all works. So the self-defense with oxalate is really interesting. It happens to be a very handy chelator of metals and human beings have been using that chelation effect of the oxalate in order to use it as a cleaner. We've been using it in industry for bleaching fabrics and leathers and cleaning all kinds of things since the 1700s, the late 1700s. <clears throat> wow. So, so these oxalates are in the plants and they're a part of the way that the plant lives and survives. So then where's the part then that the oxalates, when they get into us, damage us? Because now are the plants defending themselves once they've been eaten and in our bodies? Or are those are those um, components still active when they go in? I, I, I want to understand how the oxalate is damaging to us once it's in us. Yeah, so we talk about oxalates in the plural because there's the soluble molecules, right? There's the sodium and potassium oxalates. And then there's these uh, more 
insoluble crystals that form like salt or like sugar crystals. If you can think of sugar crystals or salt crystals, that's what oxalate becomes physically, these little white crystals that are uber uh, invisible. And, and the plants grow them in particular shapes. They, the plants put out this, um, what's the word? Structure, this template with prote proteins, right? The calcium binding proteins like peptides are laid out in a structure so the plant can control the shape. And one of the shapes that's in the kiwi is this double pointed toothpick called a rapide. And they're made in bundles of like 200. And the plant literally, once you damage those cells, it starts shooting out the individual arrows, these toothpicks into the tissue, which can penetrate two cells deep. And some people have noticed that if you put your kiwi into the high-speed blender, you break up those bundles because they're normally encapsulated in mucilage, which is like pectin, and you don't have good pectin enzymes to break that down very well, so that's kind of in this jelly capsule, so you don't notice it in your mouth until you go ahead and put it in the Vitamix, and you break up the pectin capsules, and you break open all the little toothpicks, and then they're available to irritate your mouth, and you might notice that. So feel free to experiment on that, folks, you know, if you want to. Uh, so that's one way, you know, the crystals are going to irritate eventually the digestive tract and promote leaky gut and promote inflammation in the gut, just the crystals alone. And then the soluble oxalates will sometimes change partners and start hooking up with the calcium and magnesium in your gut that's in your food. Uh, so that's, you know, why some people say, well, if you just drink a lot of milk and calcium and cheese, then you can sop up that oxalate when in fact you can't completely do that. It does help. But we know over and over again, scientists shown you still have these ions, these ions. This is a tiny little molecule. This is like what a 10th or a 20th or a 40th of a size of a single fat molecule that's making up your membranes of your cells, right? We're talking like being able to slip through any kind of gaps or problems in the membranes. And we have membrane problems. That's why we have brain problems and mental health problems because we've been eating the wrong fat so long. So much canola oil and margarine and garbage has destroyed the brain, the lack of cholesterol, the lack of choline. We are making stupider and stupider people because we don't want to eat eggs and we don't want to eat meat. And we're deficient in basic fats that, that allow the brain and the nervous system to work, that maintain myelin and so on. And so uh, those damaged cells are probably more vulnerable to the entry of oxalate. And oxalate probably in the gut is, is kind of following calcium as the body allows calcium in and the body is selective about whether it needs calcium or not. As calcium moves into the cells, oxalate can follow that because of the electromagnetic charge. So it can be pulled over because of electromagnetic charge and gets deep into the cell organelles and ends up in the mitochondria, the endoplasmic reticulum, and the nucleus. And those are like, oh, so critical structures to life. You start messing with your mitochondria and you start becoming a herding pup. You need mitochondria to live. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a second to break away from the podcast to tell you about my favorite pre-formulated nootropic stack that is mind lab pro i 
I look at Mind Lab Pro kind of like a, a nootropic multivitamin. If you're a, a nootropic newbie, this is a great nootropic stack to start with. Even if you're an experienced nootropic user, maybe you've been putting together your own kind of different stacks using different nootropics together, and maybe you've hit a plateau, maybe you just haven't found the, the one that works right for you. Maybe you found something that worked right, and then you try to pair it with something else, and, and the whole thing kind of fell apart, and then that original nootropic doesn't work for you. MindLab Pro is pre-formulated. It's made by scientists, so they actually pre-formulate it with the right amounts, the right ingredients, 11 research-backed nootropic ingredients, by the way, that are proven to help boost your cognition, your memory, your focus, your mood, all those benefits you look for out of a nootropic, especially a nootropic stack, you're going to get with MindLab Pro. You've got citicoline, which is going to boost your acetylcholine production. It's going to boost dopamine. It's going to boost your focus. It's going to boost your memory, your process speed. You've got phosphatidylserine, which is going to help you with nerve growth factor. It's got glucose metabolism enhancement. You've got the modulation of the HPA axis. It's going to help your energy levels. It's going to help your mood. It's going to help your stress levels, which is so important. You've got Bacopa Monnieri. You've got Rhodiola, an amazing adaptogenic herb. you got one of the most popular nootropic or holistic nootropics out there, Lion's Mane Mushroom. You're getting that nerve growth factor, literally growing new brain, promotes healthy brain cell function. So many amazing benefits from Lion's Mane. You've also got things like maritime pine bark extract and of course N-acetyl-L-tyrosine which is going to help boost dopamine levels and of course norepinephrine levels. So if you need a boost in mood, if you're dealing with some depression, if you just need to be a little bit more lively, let's say you're, you're, you're kind of falling apart going out in social situations, assuming you're, you're breaking your social distancing, you're going out, you need a little N-acetyl-L-tyrosine and then of course one of the classic great nootropics, L-theanine, hit that alpha brainwave, get into flow. If you're trying to pair something with coffee to take the edge off a little bit, or, or if you're just getting rid of caffeine in general, L-theanine is a great nootropic amino acid. And then you have the cofactors, the B vitamins to help really put everything together. B6, B9, B12, you know, it's like you can have all these amazing nootropics together, but if you don't turn on the fire, if you don't stir the pot, that's what the B vitamins do. They help get everything together so that it's metabolized. It hits your brain. It works the way it's supposed to do. Right now, we have a deal with MindLab Pro directly through HolisticNootropics.com. You get three months of MindLab Pro with an extra fourth month for free. Just go on over to HolisticNootropics.com forward slash MindLab Pro. Again, HolisticNootropics.com forward slash MindLab Pro. Get one free month of MindLab Pro with the purchase of three. You can't beat this deal. The nootropic multivitamin MindLab Pro, my favorite. Okay, let's get back into the podcast. Yeah. Well, the body is so interesting like that because I had Susan Owens on the podcast a, a few weeks ago and we were talking about a very similar thing where she was explaining how the the sulfur transport, um, the sulfur transporter is what actually brings the oxalate into the into the cell. And it almost seems to me, and granted, you know, I hope I don't butcher this, but it almost seems to me that when you flood the body with oxalate from oxalate-rich foods, the this transporter almost has no choice. It's like, oh my God, there's all of this oxalate in the blood or you know, uh, in these different parts of the body. I have to prioritize this because it can fit on that transporter. You know, we've got enough. We've got enough sulfur here. What we do, what we got to do is we got to get the we got to get the oxalate into the cell, and then that's when it goes and starts damaging the mitochondria, and you get this oxidative stress. 
Yeah, these transporters are these big proteins that live in the membrane structures, right? So the cells have all kinds of proteins sitting around. It's these proteins and enzymes are doing cool things. So the transporter is basically a revolving door and it, 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 it's a switcher. It's an exchange process. So you've got to have one on one side of the membrane, one on the other. And it may be just because the body's trying to move something out. It needs something in order to move the door. So mm-hmm. it, it'll start whatever's there that will help the door move. If it's, if it's in the business of moving ions, oxalate gets caught up in that. We know this. It's just kind of lost on people. The meaning and the significance of this is profound because we've known for a long time that the oxalate level in saliva is four times higher than the blood level. And that's because this transporter also moves bicarbonate and iodine and other things. So bicarbonate is needed in your saliva because your saliva is alkaline. That's why your teeth don't rot, because you're constantly putting out bicarbonate into your saliva. Well, you're also constantly putting out oxalate. So if you have a heavy tartar situation in your teeth, that might be a sign that your transporters are moving a lot of oxalate. And of course, the teeth and facial area is a big area for oxalate accumulation because there's so much vascularization here, lots of delivery of blood all the time, so much calcium, which is a magnet. Oxalate tends to follow calcium around, and calcium is quite happy to hook up with oxalate. The two of them are all into it. <laughs> like, sure. They'll go for it. And so, you know, the sinus area, the, the eyes, but especially the teeth and the mouth, people end up with toothaches and jaw pain and maybe even this masseter issue where we get, like I used to have a pretty kind of cranky masseter joint. It's much better now on the oxalate diet. But you can go through periods where now when your body's, trying to remove the oxalate that's been accumulating here, that you get those old pains again and you think, oh my gosh, I got to have my teeth pulled or something. It's very intense because the whole, once you, once these transporters or the passive diffusion and the movement of oxalate, the soluble forms into the body, once you've got this bioaccumulation happening or just this exposure to oxalate, you get cell damage that encourages more deposition of oxalate. So you, the initial experience of oxalate for a cell can mean right away changes in that membrane structure. Uh, molecules that are supposed to be on the inside of the molecule of the m- membrane, the membrane is a two-layer structure. So these fatty tails are in the middle and then these, these polar ends, these heads they call them on these um, glycerol molecules. We've got two fatty ends in each molecule. The um, diff- There's different kinds of fats and structures on the inside of the cell versus the outside because it's a double layer, right, of fats. The, the things that are on the inside flip over and become on the outside. It completely changes the structure of the membrane. This is not good. Membranes are where life happens. Membranes create energy. Membranes make decisions. Membranes encapsulate every piece of machinery of, the, of life. The functions of life are occurring in membranes and the structure of those fats, the right fats in the right place matter a lot to whether those transporters are even working properly and whether, this, whether the fats are lined up properly so that that whole lipid barrier that the membrane's forming is working well. And if you've got the wrong shaped fats, you might have loosey membranes and to make it even easier for oxalate to enter cells. Certainly you see it with some of the other plant anti-nutrients like saponins are soap that dissolve fats and, and mess up the membranes in the intestinal tract 
and make it real easy for oxalate to get into the cells and start sticking to the endoplasmic reticulum, getting inside the subcellular structures in ways that it's completely invisible and hard to see. Science has been overlooking this kind of the molecular accumulation in subcellular organelles. They haven't been really looking at that because it's just not been a thing, even though we know all the science because we use oxalate in order to study calcium movement in the cells. And that's why we, we know that calcium, that oxalate follows calcium because we actually use oxalate to do that in research to understand how calcium moves in the cells. And if you're on a low-fat plant-based diet, you really hit yourself from just two major just blows to the cell, right? Because you've got, uh, you've got you're, you're compromising the integrity of the membrane because it's made of fat and fat helps build the membrane, but then you're also assaulting it with the oxalate. And the other plant chemicals, which all work together like a really bad gang, like lactins, saponins, phytates, and oxalates together are bad news. And unfortunately, some of the most heralded foods like quinoa is this a nightmare in plant anti-nutrients that are so destructive to the gut. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you about the oxalates mineral binding capabilities because you're, you're talking a lot about you know how it how it works with calcium but i'm curious how it works with magnesium because i know you know magnesium and calcium essentially antagonize each other and you know i i've read the the magnesium miracle by carolyn dean one of my favorite books um and she talks all about you know getting a lot of magnesium because you know the problem is a lot of people are taking so much calcium and um, and for a long time, I was like, okay, well, I got I to gotta not take calcium supplements. I got to double down on the magnesium. But then when, you're also, when you also have a high oxalate diet, now you're losing the calcium that you're not getting from, that you're not getting a lot of in the first place and you're doubling down on magnesium. So how does oxalate play with magnesium? Maybe even the other minerals like phosphorus or even uh, different vitamins. Well, you know, the sad thing is that the research has been so focused on kidney stones and so focused on calcium oxalate that there isn't a lot there, except there is. And the big one that's there most universally is the loss of enzyme functions. So several enzymes stop working when oxalate's around, including the ones that create muscle glycogen liver glycogen, and blood sugar. The enzymes that do that require magnesium and they can get broken with chronic oxalate. And that's, they think it's because of the binding to the magnesium. So the magnesium that's hanging out in the cell has been ruined by becoming calcium, or excuse me, <laughs> magnesium oxalate. So now you've got magnesium oxalate trying to be a cofactor on an enzyme and it's not working. And you get really sluggish energy metabolism just on the, the sugar side. So your brain needs a lot of sugar, right? You need to be able to keep your blood sugar up. But that actually, in order, if you're not producing enough sugar because that enzyme is interfering with it, your brain slows down. All your body functions start slowing down because you need to keep your blood sugar high enough so that you've got enough for the brain. So you have, you're just tired in general because you, you don't end up with low blood sugar unless you're really severe with this. What you end up with is compromised physiology where the, the energy use, the use of glucose goes down because your production of glucose goes down. And also on the energy 
the ATP generation side, there's several places where the enzymes that are required to produce ATP energy in cells is interrupted. So just that one thing, this chelation of minerals seems to be making havoc out of your energy metabolism because the enzymes aren't working well. So that's so know, interesting. Big fatigue problem. Your brain uses half the oxygen you use, right? That you breathe is used by the brain because it's a very high energy, um, you know, tissue. And so is the myelin, the myelin, the glial cells and so on that make up myelin are very biologically active. They used to think of it as just, you know, butter, you know, spread on the nerves to insulate it, but it's actually very much an active and interacting with the immune system kind of material that requires a lot of energy and they have to produce their own ATP. But if you've got damaged mitochondria, you've got inflammation, you've got less mitochondria working well, and you, you end up with sluggish energy metabolism. You end up with slowing down. You end up with depression. Of course, the big story with this is that you end up with chronic inflammatory conditions, right? Because your mitochondria are damaged, your cells have been damaged. So the immune system has to come in to address the damage and also address the fact that these crystals are hanging around. Like these crystals aren't supposed to be here. The immune system helps to manage all that and helps to eliminate those crystals. So as long as there's crystals developing in your body, you're going to have a turned on immune system. That's a big problem because that's the, really the basis for depression and brain fog and all this stuff, this chronic inflammation. The other thing you get is inflammation in the vascular system. You've got your body absorbs oxalate into the bloodstream. It immediately damages the mitochondria in the cells of the bloodstream, but it's also annoying the cells of the vessels themselves. So this, everything's got a lining, this epithelial lining in the vascular system is struggling with constant exposure to oxalate. And you get down into the microcirculation of the small capillary beds where it's just like one cell width, that's really messing with your vascular delivery of oxygen. So of course you're tired. You're like, you're, you're, your mitochondria aren't happy. They're not doing well. Your energy production's low. Your oxygen delivery is low, which sends you over into fermentation, which is not, a, now you got lactic acid building up and you've got an acidic metabolism and that's what makes you feel like garbage. You start building up acid in your tissues and that's really when you're like, oh, I do not feel good. Yeah. Wow. There's so much you just said right there that it, it, it's so interesting because, you know, I think a lot of people who start going down this, this low oxalate road, and I'm guilty of this too, put a lot of the onus on a very heavy plant-based diet, right? Maybe not vegan or vegetarian, but, but a lot of plants. But, you know, what you also said there can also be applied to the other diets like paleo or keto, where you are relying on the conversion of glycogen to, you know, to power your body, to power your brain, because you're not getting so many, uh, so many carbohydrates. But if your paleo diet, like this was my, this was my problem was I thought I was doing this great paleo diet and I was eating a ton of okra and sweet potatoes and spinach and kale and all the things you're not supposed to eat on a low ox diet. And, you know, I got a hair test done and all of my hair minerals were low, you know, and I took, was taking, uh, I don't remember like close to a thousand milligrams of magnesium and my magnesium was like low. And I was like, what is going on here? You know, and why do I still have brain fog? And what is all this about? And what you just said makes sense because the, the, the mechanism that's supposed to take my stored liver glycogen and deliver it for energy was broken. The mechanisms that are supposed to get, you know, 
carbohydrates and glucose to my brain is broken. And it was because I was just completely binding everything up with these oxalate rich foods. So sad. Yeah. I mean, those are promoted as a mineral rich diet. Eating those wholesome natural foods is supposed to be full of nutrients. People are convinced that plants are full of these nutrients, but the, if oxalate and these other things like phytates that can in, interrupt the bioavailability are, are going on, then it's a totally different story. And we've known that this is the sad part. We, this has been documented that in the presence of phytates and oxalates, your minerals and your food aren't any good. We've known this since like the late 1930s when we were just kind of finalizing what's a vitamin, how much mineral, like we're just learning this stuff. But it was obvious from the beginning why has this dropped off of basic education and health and medicine and nutrition? Why isn't this common knowledge? It's a crime that it's not common knowledge. Yeah. You know, it's funny as me and Susan got into this discussion about Popeye and, uh, and she actually sent me a study that was done. I think it was 1939. And maybe you have this on your website, by the way, uh, check out Sally's website. It's such an amazing resource for, for science and, and studies. Um, I, I could lose my day <laughs> on your website. But uh, she sent me this study about these rats and they were feeding them high spinach. Um, I think Coleman's rats, probably the Coleman study. I yeah. thought it was 1933, but you know, don't trust Something my oxygen. He was actually working for Campbell Soup Company. They, they wanted to be able to convince people they didn't need their own home canned foods, but they could buy our canned foods and it would be just as nutritious and fine. And this would be okay food. They actually cared about the nutrition back then. And um, so he was studying, you know, putting these rats on a canned food diet, but noticing that there really isn't enough calcium in a canned food diet. So we'll add in the spinach for the calcium because there's so much calcium in spinach, tons of calcium in spinach. So of course the poor rats on the spinach in the canned food just didn't do well. They could not, one, one could give birth and they were mostly stillbirth and she ate the pups and it was just, they had like no bones. They couldn't reproduce. They're really sickly rats. Like using the calcium from spinach doesn't work. What was clear is that that spinach was not bioavailable. And so they were dying from a calcium deficiency disease. And that's so weird too, because so many people, so many people in the plant-based community, you know, when they're talking about, the dairy and and I'm no dairy proponent myself, but you know they'll say things like all these studies are funded by the milk board and all these things, and they'll go, well, you can get plenty of calcium from spinach, and I mean that study basically debunks that whole thing. It's like, well, you can get calcium from spinach, except you're also going to get a whole dose of this substance oxalate, which completely cancels out that calcium and then does all this other stuff to your body. Do you realize that was over eight decades ago that we've known that? I mean, it's crazy. It's human beings have a lot of biases and they creep into our bigger structures. You know, the, the individual person whose biology is disturbed because they're both deficient and toxic thanks to bad information and, you know, other cultural reasons for the, what we do. And then outside of your biology, there's you, the person who, who either has or has not the skills to cope with life and deal with your challenges and you're surrounded by a circle of friends and family. And around there, we have these institutions like medicine and doctors. And then we have this bigger cultural attitude and cultural structures that are all affecting how we eat, how sick we are or not. And you have to cope with all these 
levels in your life. This is a basic principle in public health, this idea that your biology is the core of your well-being. And then there's your, your personal well-being, you know, and then these other layers that you're embedded in. So it's a, it's a cross-section. Oxalate's a great cross-section of all those things. Because it's very hard to now acknowledge that you maybe were wrong in being a vegetarian or vegan or promoting keto bread or promoting smoothies, you know, because it harmed you. Or maybe you have to be able to have the strong enough character to say, you know what, I'm learning and growing. I I wasn't right. You know, I have to move on. That in itself. And then you enter a world that's Siberia because in the world of people who don't believe in keto bread and spinach smoothies, it's just like a f- very sparse, <laughs> yeah. right? So now you're socially isolated and confused. You lack validation from the wider culture. You lack support and understanding from your sweetheart and your neighbor and your sister or your mother or your brother. And, you know, that. then there's all these toxic people who are saying really mean things or, you know, you have to learn your balance. There's all kinds of things that I'm just mentioning all this stuff because it's part of the mental health challenge of really getting straight and getting healthy again. You have to be willing to be loyal to yourself and your own reality and, and understand this enough, work with this enough to, to develop that self-confidence and validate yourself. And, and I find, you know, I tell all my folks who follow me, this is a great spiritual journey to be on because you will find through your direct experience, you will find the real truth about what's really good to eat and what isn't. You'll be able to figure this out and you don't need any validation from anybody. Not certainly not from any smoothie pushing person. You, you know, you've, you've made these mistakes. The problem is those of us who've made these mistakes would like to prevent others from doing this. We don't want you to suffer for decades on end and have back pain and have joint problems and have brain fog. We, we would love it if you just learned from us and watched us ruin our lives instead. <laughs> yeah. I think once you realize that it's a journey and it just never ends, you know, it's like you think you, think you did the right thing and you felt it at first when you went from skim milk to almond milk and you go, okay, this is better for me. And then you're like, but things have, not gotten better. They've not gotten worse. It's just the bad things have transitioned into different bad things. And, you know, it's when you realize that it's like, even when you think you have it figured out, it's like, you can always, there's always something else to be learned here. And you're always just constantly making tweaks. And, and I've always thought too, with the whole diet thing, you know, this is my problem with, you know, being so dogmatic about one diet, which is, the earth moves in seasons. Why wouldn't the body move in seasons? You know, maybe you do have a couple months where you're plant-based, but then maybe you follow that up with a couple months where you, you know, go more heavy on the animals, you know, or your own biochemistry will guide you in that right way. Um, And it's just not as easy as saying, well, you just got to load up on leafy greens because everyone knows green is good. So just eat as many of those greens as you can. You'll be fine. You know, don't drink skim milk or a full fat milk or butter, drink almond milk or (laughs) oat milk. Please never drink oat milk, but, uh, you know, we won't judge you too hard. Um, (laughs) But I think, I think it's this like kind of herd mindset that people have where it's like, you want to feel like you're in a community, you want to feel supported. And the sad thing is you just don't trust your own instincts. Yeah, it's, it's, um, that's why I like Oxley because I think it helps us break up and acknowledge that we wanted to belong to something. 
And I, for one, have never been a card carrying anything in, in health and nutrition other than my vegetarian years. I was very into it and teaching people it and, you know, proselytizing and trying to, you know, spread the good news. But once I got out of that, <laughs> I was like, okay, I couldn't have been more wrong. That didn't work. I'm sick as a dog and uh, I still don't know what's going on. And and so, that you know, it's really nice to hang out in academia and write research grants and, and be in the questioning space and, and think you have a theory and wonder about it and get funded to do stuff about it and stay busy and go to work. And being out here in a space of telling people what to eat is risky because it's really most of us are wrong, <laughs> yeah. but I'm only here because I finally realize what is true. And what is true is that we're overselling the plants and saviors program. And it's those of us who are so innocent enough to do that, despite our degree in nutrition and public health, um, get in trouble and really in trouble with our health. It's not small potatoes, especially if you're cooking your brain and you're losing your brain. You can't remember anything. You can't read. The, the nerves are fragile and, and it's in the literature. You see it in the star fruit poisonings. You see it in the uh, ethylene glycol turns into oxalate in the body. And in both of those cases, the emphasis is not so much the kidney damage, which is what we know oxalate for. It's the neurological problems. And not only the initial one where people suddenly fall over into coma or fall over and have a nap for 10 minutes and then revive themselves and they get delayed delayed problems later that include tinnitus and vertigo and hearing loss and facial palsy like really they they you can lose your voice temporarily you can lose your ability to speak and then some of the long term problems from them are in problems with attention problems with organizing memory all this stuff that we're struggling with like ah oh, I can't organize my day some days I'm like flaky. You see this as, as an effect of oxalate poisoning with the star fruit poisonings. And they're more focused on that. On the studies that are worried about kidneys, they kind of ignore the brain function side. So you, you have to like go into areas that don't feel so biased about it's all about the kidney health that are forgetting. The kidney research really is just ignoring the whole body, even though the kidney is the exit route. There's a whole story before you get to the exit how it got in, where it went in the meantime, whether it lingered around, whether it had effects, all that's just getting ignored by the bulk of the funding for oxalate, which is all about pretending we don't know what causes kidney stones. Right. And so that was another thing I wanted to ask you about, because I think if there is some kind of mainstream conversation around oxalate, it's about the kidney stones. So is that because the oxalate that you take in um, accumulate in the kidney specifically, um, or that, that works alongside the function of the kidney? Exactly how does that happen? Yeah, so oxalate is primarily excreted through the kidney, but it's also, as I said, comes out in the saliva, can get excreted through the skin even, and the gut is set up with those transporters that Susan was teaching you guys about was, you know, moving ions back and forth in the gut. And uh, there's things that turn that on, including the right bacteria help you do excretion in the gut. Um, so there's, but the kidneys really have to deal with a lot of oxalate traffic. There's always a little bit of oxalate around because it's formed metabolically from vitamin C and glycine and hydroxyproline, these uh, amino acids, some amount of that. And the amount that's formed may depend on your nutritional status and may depend on 
other factors that are affecting your epigenetic functioning or even down deep into your genetics. There's a lot of variability. And so that's part of the problem with this, this disorder of the sort of the oxalic acid syndrome disorder that we're really talking about here. It looks really different in different people. And that's because there's a whole different terrain going on in terms of your epigenetic functioning. And so some people it's going to show up more in the kidneys and that's principally people who are not producing enough of these anticoagulating proteins. So normally when there's a lot of oxalate around, healthy kidneys put out gobs of these different proteins, uh, lots of them. And they, they cause, they make it hard for this, the individual little invisible crystals to stick together and then form a big clump. The stone is an agglomeration of these smaller nanocrystals that form a clump that clog a tubule or something. And then once you got clogged areas, it usually sets off pain. It becomes this kidney stone. It's that lack of flow. Once your kidneys, it's all about flow in the kidneys. Things stop flowing. That's when you get the symptoms. But before you get the symptoms, you have a problem of whether you're producing enough of these anticoagulants in the kidneys. So some people are prone to kidney stones, but a lot of us can pee out crystals all day because we're cranking out all these extra proteins to make sure that doesn't happen. The problem with that is that those proteins also can have negative effects in the body and probably promote fibromyalgia. So hence in women who are very immune sensitive, they have much stronger immune systems that are really, you know, talk about angry bear. The women's immune system can reap up on its hind legs and get vicious and, and cause these chronic autoimmune conditions because it's constantly being stimulated by not only the crystals, but in a kind of aberrant metabolism where you've got too many of the wrong proteins defending the kidneys. You need the kidneys. They're essential to life. They matter a lot. The body prioritizes heart function, kidney function, and so on. But so there's a real difference. Some people get kidney stones from a lot of oxalate and people like me Cloudy, cloudy urine full of little crystals, not chunks of crystals, not kidney stones. And for some people, I would imagine maybe women more, uh, the oxalates accumulate in the thyroid. Yeah, I don't know that there's a gender thing on that. Um, But women, I think because the real answer is immune involvement. Like where the crystals end up, you get immune reactivity, immune engagement, because that's the only way to deal with these toxic toxic crystals is to bring in the immune system. So you're constantly inviting the immune system in. And because women have stronger immune systems, they get more reactivity and more probably destruction of thyroid function. Like their ability to keep some follicles working well in the thyroid may be less because there's so much chronic inflammation going on. Mm -hmm. But a lot of us, you know, I went from hard lumpy thyroid gland to being able to reduce my thyroid medication quite a lot. I mean, one doctor was sure I had Hashimoto's, but, you know, because at times, depending on when you took the blood test, always what we see in these post-poisonings with starfruit poisoning from oxalate and uh, ethylene glycol poisoning, which is like antifreeze, you know, suicide attempts and so on, we always see large amounts of immune cells in the bloodstream that you always get huge immune reaction with lots of white blood cells proliferating out in the, in the bloodstream who are being asked to come out. You know, it's like you've called in the fire department and the police department and the streets are full of these emergency vehicles running around. That's the, all that excess immune cells. Unfortunately, if you've got a lot of oxalate in the blood, you're also damaging those same immune system cells. So it's almost like you're shooting holes in the tires of the ambulance. And when, by the time the, it slows the ambulance down from getting to 
the site of the problem and then makes it harder for the ambulance to do well when it gets there. And that's what we're doing with this chronic smoothie thing. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, chronic inflammation from an overactive immune system. I, I don't know if people really, I, I can, t- I know people don't understand how this works. I mean, I barely understand how it works, but I, I kind of, I get the the general idea, which I think is a good starting place for many people. And especially when it comes to something like mental health, I mean, the more research that comes out in about depression specifically, the more they've realized that, oh, it's inflammation, you know, it's there, there's real depression, there's real chemical imbalances, but at the heart of it, it's inflammation. And when you start to look at all of these things that cause this inflammation and oxalate is, you know, definitely after talking to you, probably right there up there with all of these causes, along with environmental toxicity and, you know, a number of other things, um, you start to realize, well, how do we keep that down? You know, how do we keep the, I mean, the immune system is just a, a wild tiger that's out of the cage and it's just running rampant in your body. And, you know, that's why I was asking about the thyroid because I know a lot for a lot of people, the thyroid is a trouble spot. And, you know, if your thyroid's not working properly, then your mitochondria is not working properly. And, and there you go again. Now you have two, you have a double whammy of the inflammation and your mitochondria not working properly. And I mean, of course you're going to wake up and you're going to feel like a dark cloud throughout your day. You're not going to feel optimized. And, you know, this oxalate piece, I'm so happy that I've been able to talk to you here because it's such a missing part of the puzzle where people go, I'm eating healthy, I'm doing all the right things, but where is this brain fog coming from? Where does this anxiety come from? Why, you know, even maybe into PTSD and these sorts of things where it's like, where is this coming from? I thought I was doing the right thing, but there's so much more to the puzzle. Yeah, there's really just two major, major causes of all unwellness. Fundamentally, at a biological level, it's toxicity and deficiency. And oxalate is causing both. It is an environmental toxin coming from the environment of our diet. It is an environmental toxicity disorder. Yes, it matters whether you're spraying your lawn with chemicals, and it matters if your food is covered with chemicals, but your food is chemicals. The plants are full of chemicals, and they're chemicals that are different than us versus the the chemicals in a healthy animal food kind of matches our biology and it can't really poison us. And you've, and, and you've said before, and I've heard this from Susan as well, you can't just cut these oxalates cold turkey, right? You have to mm-hmm. kind of gradually take it down. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I, if you're really at a high oxalate diet, you're probably at a range of 1,000, 2,000, maybe even 2,500 milligrams of oxalate a day. In oxalate land, that's humongous because you really, the, the researchers expect that you're eating about 100 or 150 milligrams a day and you're eating 10, 20, 25 times that amount. You're eating a huge amount. So, okay, you're speeding down the highway of high oxalate diet and you're going to suddenly stop on a dime and turn that around. You're, it's like hitting a brick wall at 60 miles an hour. It is not pretty. It's really a traumatic, you don't want to traumatize a fragile toxic body. You really want to be gentle with that body and set it down like an egg that you care about. I talk about people, this is like tiptoeing backwards out of a baby's bedroom. You do not want to wake the baby. So, you know, it's important that you start learning what foods are high in oxalate, like your Swiss chard and so on and figure out, okay, I can start with that one. I don't even love Swiss chard. That's the one to start with. And just one at a time, start looking at these worst offender foods and finding maybe a, a, a middle ground piece to start with. So jump from the big lily pad of high Swiss chard down to say dandelion greens. 
So you go down from maybe maybe a thousand milligrams in a meal down to a hundred. That's a good jump on one food. You haven't hugely changed your diet, but you're make, you're starting to make progress. And you can do that with each of these worst offenders, go from almonds to macadamia nuts and so on and keep moving them over, you know, like one at a time, move them into, move the really high ones out, bring in some medium kind of food, what we call medium level foods. And then once you're there for a while, you've reached and you could potentially get yourself down into like the 200 to 150 milligram ranges, what we expect is the normal diet. And this is more getting close to more homostatic situation where you're not going to be um, heavily heavily accumulating oxalate, but you're not going to be encouraging a kind of vomiting of oxalate from the body. As long as you've still got some oxalates in your diet, you will hold on to this deposit that's in the thyroid gland. 85% of us who are over 50 have deposits in our, it's normal. We've all got, basically all of us have deposits somewhere in our bones or teeth or thyroid, or who knows, it's unique for each person but you don't want to start digging that out because you're just recalling those damaged ambulances all over again who have to come out and deal. Okay. Yay. Yay. They get excited. It's a party. We have been waiting for this moment to finally get rid of this garbage that's been collecting over this whole, you know, keto bread world or whatever it is you've been into the, the paleo dark chocolate thing. Those are all enough. It only takes a couple of those foods to get into trouble. Um, so then, you know, give yourself time to do this. You can adjust socially and mentally and physically make your life work on different foods and then start moving down into the romaine lettuce and the, uh, let's see, peaches, melons, pumpkin seeds, the really low foods, the turnips, mustard greens are really low. So maybe you go from Swiss chard to dandelion for a while and then down to mustard greens. And then you, you still got your same diet, basically it's still green. There's so many leafy greens that are low in oxalate, but there is a lot of the low oxalate vegetables are from the brassica or the cabbage family. And they have ravenose and issues. They're hard to digest. You really must cook them well and you must limit your portions. You cannot make a big pyramid of vegetables and eat all that cabbage stuff and feel good because mm. it's going to be tough on the gut. So you get your greens if you really love them, but you cannot necessarily count on mountains of them being a good idea either. Yeah. And good luck to you if you replace your spinach smoothie with uh, mustard greens. <laughs> Enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> or even arugula, which is another must, another mustard family green, but it's so bitter. It's just yeah. not going to happen. So then people are going to be pouring in bananas and sugar and almond milk and diluting it and trying to like, don't eat food if it's awful. That's not mental health either. That's an eating disorder. Yeah, and that's a whole other. Um, <laughs> last thing I, I want to ask you is, okay, so you, you're the type of person, you've listened to this, you've listened to Sally Norton, you go, okay, I got an oxalate problem. I got to change my ways. I got to do this detox. I got to, you know, I got to change. I, I got to get on this low oxalate diet thing. You start gradually going down. But, you know, you're a biohacker, you're, you, you love the nootropics, you're like, I want that edge, you know, I want that edge, baby. <laughs> Are there any supplements or any things that you recommend taking while you're going down this road? Are you talking yeah. maybe like some extra calcium? Is yeah. there some kind of, you know, what, what do you recommend? Yeah, there's, there is a huge problem with your electrolytes. The, the oxalate has been causing your muscles and bones to leak potassium. You've, you're, you're in trouble with magnesium. You're in trouble with calcium. Calcium is the binder that helps, and magnesium too, to as, as a second 
fiddle. It's like the understudy of calcium is always magnesium. Um, and the two of them will help you bind and carry off oxalate and help you eliminate oxalate from the body. So they're very important. They can both help with uh, pain and, you know, you have to adjust the amounts, but the VP foundation has been doing this for 26 years. They like to see people taking at least 1400 milligrams of calcium citrate, or I like to use calcium pyruvate because of the constipation problem. You get kind of like fibromyalgia of the colon, some of us get really long-term problems with uh, in the endometriosis and stuff that I had. You know, I lost all of that because of oxalate probably. Um, so the, those are really basic things. Those uh, citrate supplements or just getting the minerals plus some amount of citrate if you tolerate either the supplements or lemon juice. Lemon juice is very alkalizing. Potassium uh, citrate and potassium bicarb are very alkalizing. It can help with that sort of lactoacidosis feeling because when your immune system does come back in to, to rotor root out these crystals, it's like digging up roadways. They've got to dig out stuff and create some drama and there's collateral damage and it slows you down. And some of the slowdown is this production of lactic acid and, and just loss of minerals that I think also contributes to this sort of acidic metabolism. So the lemon juice can help with that. So lemons can be amazing um, medication when you don't feel good, juice a lemon and do a lemon shot, take the minerals, get decent thiamine. I like the selbutamine and the benfontamine and the, the various fat soluble thiamines. I like, you know, a good quality supplement that contains the fat soluble thiamines, the P5P form of B6, the proper form of folate and um, you know, get your B vitamins going too, because the, the oxalate is really those enzymes that you need to restore and really need those B vitamins and oxalate has limited their functionality and destroyed them, use them up just in the process of dealing with oxalate, you use up those B vitamins. So those are all really helpful. There's a lot of ways you can customize supplements and you can do quite a bit with them, but you there are also problems with supplements. Vitamin C is a precursor to oxalate, meaning that a certain amount of vitamin C turns into oxalate in the body. And that's another, you think of it as a high oxalate food almost, even though it's not really oxalate when you put it in your mouth. Although I think some people have shown that this vitamin C sitting in the bottle can turn into oxalate in the bottle. So it may be some amount of your vitamin C pill actually has oxalate in it because it's so easy to convert ascorbic acid into oxalate. Mm -hmm. So you would think that too is a high oxalate food. You want to taper down on vitamin C and get down to 250 or less. That would be, you know, there's, there's something wonderful about just taking things away and having recovery. I wish we could just do that less vitamin C, less oxalate foods, and you'd be fixed. But a lot of us will do much better if we definitely get the minerals back and use a little bit of citric acid or citrate, but it's very customizable, but you're going to need calcium. People are afraid of calcium supplements for no good reason. They're perfectly safe. Taking a little chalk as a binder that takes off a real toxin, there's no reason to fear it. Interesting. And what about like a calcium deglucurate? Because I've heard a lot of great things about that with estrogen dominance specifically, but, um, and, and it can bind to some things. How does that work with oxalate? The main forms of these minerals that you want to avoid are the glycinates because glycine is a precursor to oxalate. And most of the others you can experiment with and see what's working best for you. And, it, you know, we're all so much a snowflake when it comes to this, that there's some, a fair amount of customization. But you want to be very generous with, ox, with calcium. You can take it at bedtime. Both calcium and magnesium help calm the brain for good sleep. 
You can time it. Most of us have circadian patterns with when we don't feel good. It's part of the body circadian process of when it is doing clearing work with oxalate. It seems to be unique to each person. You can time those, these minerals ahead of those times. So if two o'clock is the time of day you feel like garbage, you should be taking minerals at noon mm-hmm. um, and spreading them around the day so that they're always available. But we're basically taking the calcium to hang out in the gut. As it is, you only absorb 18 to 22% of the calcium uh, average anyway, and we're adding more. So there's plenty in the gut. So the gut excretion function works well, and it encourages um, safe elimination without making you more calcium deficient. I think every time the body goes in and has to move oxalate around, it loses minerals in the process. Mm, interesting. And and I've also heard biotin is good for, for oxalate removal as well. Yeah. Yeah. The biotin B6 and um, thiamine are really critical and helpful. You've got to be careful with nutrients though, because they start making cells kind of like pop by themselves. They feel really like heroes and they start doing work you don't really want them to do. If you, any of these minerals can give the cells what they need to do work that might be too much. So you want to be careful also as you move down oxygen to food and you move up on some of these supplements, you want to do them both in a kind of deliberate way if you can. And just be aware that you're going to have to go up and down. Sometimes you, you come down on things like eat a little less, you have a little less supplements just to get your system to, to, to settle down. You know, think of it as petting the cat or something. Okay, let's just not, let's just not aggravate the situation by keep pushing nutrients at it. And other times you just feel like garbage anyway. You just got to push the calcium, have more lemon juice, have more, you know, but so biotin and all those are really helpful. Some people do really well and even use it in mega super like pharmaceutical doses, like skyrocket doses and can tolerate it. And it sometimes helps with the gut dust biosis and so on. But I wouldn't go there at the beginning. I would just go with a good, like, I like the AOR B supplement, go with a decent full spectrum and try to see how you tolerate that. Because a lot of us don't tolerate supplements too well. And there's still reasons for that. You know, the supplement industry is far from perfect and our understanding of nutrients and how they work is still pretty elementary. So there's a lot. Of, so you listen to your body. Number one, listen to your body and see if it doesn't work for you, back off and try something else. You, you said AOR. What is that? Advanced Orthomolecular Research is a company. Okay. And they, they, I like their formulation because it's all absorbable forms and, and decent quality. It's the first B vitamin I've ever been able to take myself. And I only need one. They say take three. Well, forget that. That's way too much for me. But Getting enough thiamine and, and biotin and B6 really does help the energy production. It helps the connective tissue function. I can definitely see thiamine improving my skin and nails and my hair is growing faster like it should have all my life and never did. So the low thiamine is a really common just general problem, as is low potassium. People are afraid of potassium and really shouldn't be quite so paranoid about it because it's, it is fundamentally almost a universal deficiency regardless. And then when you're high in oxalate, you're causing a lot of loss of potassium in muscle cells and bones and promoting osteoporosis and muscle performance problems. So anyway, it's yeah. too many details. I mean, it's hard to get into this with the kind of time we have available, but there's definitely a lot of room for some supports, but this is really simple stuff. Electrolytes, minerals, B6, 
basic B vitamins, essential, true essential nutrients. We're trying to promote tannins and polyphenols and these different chemicals we don't understand very well as if they're vitamins and essential and they may not be. And I wouldn't be into like plant extracts and all this stuff because this hyperimmune body that's all stimulated immune stuff is prone to mistaking this as a problem. And you're much more prone to reactivities, sensitivities, and allergies. And can sort of during this clean out time when the immune system is going to stay up, the more stuff you take, the more likely it is that you're going to create more things to be allergic to. So yeah. I like it simple. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm on board with that as well. You know, that's, that's really why I do this whole thing is because in the nootropic space, especially in the biohacking space, you know, I'm in these biohacker groups and, you know, I'm in these circles and I mean, the amount of stuff that people are taking, I mean, I, I think I'm in a Facebook group, a biohacking Facebook group that single-handedly supports the entire supplement industry. $40 billion <laughs> out of 3,000 people. It's bonkers. Um, but I, I'm with you on that. You know, I think people are so deficient in just electrolytes alone. People have been avoiding salt for mm. years, you know, uh, and you're, the, you're actually- I drink like salt water all the time with potassium in it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and then the thiamine thing too, this is a, this is a new, uh, idea for me, but I've, you're, you're, uh, like probably the third or fourth person I've talked to in the last month who has mentioned a, a, about a severe thiamine deficiency being at the heart of a lot of health issues. I know alcoholics especially have, uh, have thiamine issues and, um, very interesting research with the alcoholics where, you know, if they give them 300 milligrams a day of benfontamine, it doesn't work. But if they give them 600 for six months, they can start to see much better ideation, much better decision-making, much better, you know, the, the, the chance of them getting, making a real choice about whether to drink or not starts getting restored if they're really pushing the Simon, but it's got to be a long, it takes like a couple years and it's like they say, take it chronically. Like it's basically a life sentence to having to take the supplement. Um, but if you're an alcoholic, what a good deal if you could spend $30 a month and not be an alcoholic. Yeah. There's also another nootropic called uh, subutiamine, which is, uh, which is kind of super dose thiamine as well. Yeah. yeah it's, it's the same family of fat solubles. There's like four of them. Yeah. And that one went off the market for a while. It was hard to get last year and now it seems to be available again. Yeah. Do you, um, I don't mean to keep you so long. You just mentioned something I, I wanted to ask you about, but I heard you talking about um, potassium bicarbonate. Um, is that kind of the same thing as so, I mean, obviously it's different yeah. than sodium bicarbonate, um, hmm. but I know a lot of, uh, a lot of like naturopaths and functional medicine doctors promote the, the sodium bicarbonate, the baking soda. Um, I take that as well, but I, you know, I take it at least two hours away from food. Do you have a similar thing with potassium bicarbonate where you have to take it uh, like a long ways away from, uh, from food? Well, I, I, you know, I think that depends on your ability. Your transporters in your stomach are moving hydrogen and chloride to give you HCL in your stomach. And if they're underpowered and you don't have enough mitochondria and ATP, you may have a trouble with stomach acid and have to be really careful with alkalinity at mealtime. But the easy fix for that is to just put lemon juice or vinegar in with it and just neutralize the acidity versus the alkalinity in it. And then you're, then you don't have to be quite so nervous about that. Um, I also like to use it in mineral bathing, the potassium bicarbonate along with sea salt and Epsom salt and, and so a bunch of stuff, because it seems to really facilitate uh, a, 
a mix of minerals that really makes the body more able to take advantage of a mineral bath. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We, we could go off in a million yeah. different directions. I, I don't want to keep you too, too long. I've, I've kept you a little bit over uh, yeah. the promised time, but um, I certainly appreciate your time in this. We've talked about so much, so much cool stuff. Uh, you know, I know anybody listening to this is, is sure to now probably question every decision they've ever made about their diet. <laughs> um, but that's a good thing. That's a good place to be. Um, so for anybody who wants to follow up with you, check out your content, um, maybe even work with you, uh, where's a good place for that person to go? Yes. Yeah, so sallyknorton.com, Sally with a Y, knorton.com is my website. And there's a support tab. And over there, you can find these little groups that I do with folks and you can join a group. They're just like little classes and support groups where we meet each other and I do some teaching and Q&A. And it's really nice because it's a world where it's not Siberia. We're all together. <laughs> Those of us who recognize we have an oxalate problem. So that's a good thing. And then there's a few materials on there. A lot of it's just free stuff. Um, and, and then my cookbook, which a lot of people are telling me has been a big help for them for how to, how to cook, you know, how to cook low oxalate and it makes it much easier to do that. So that, that's there. There's a lot of information there. I'm on Instagram too, although I am working on a book. And so I've been neglecting my posting on Instagram, but I'm still watching there and there's plenty of posts already there. You could spend a long time just looking through the old posts and there's stuff on vitamin C and spinach and different things. And you may find that some of those are worthy of sharing with your friends as a way of start getting them interested in this topic. Yeah. I think the cookbook is going to be very helpful for a lot of people, especially because, you know, every time you start hearing about a new diet, you're like, Oh my God, where do I start? And then you've got the foods right there that are a good place to start. So, um, Sally Norton, thank you so much for your time. I certainly appreciate it. Definitely listeners, viewers go check out Sally's website, sallyknorton.com. And for more on all things holistic nootropic, uh, nootropics, check out holisticnootropics.com. Thank you so much for watching and listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for listening. For more brain-boosting info, in-depth articles, and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com.